all my Christian life, um, I keep coming back to Proverbs. Uh, I read all over the place, but there's just like a magnet. I'm pulled back there. Rarely a day goes by, especially now that we're reading Scripture together uh, as a church, and Proverbs is all, always a part of that. Uh, there's, there's not a time I don't have Proverbs. I'm reading that, especially during this new series. It's a very practical book. It's very helpful. Uh, we're in week two of a series called Wisdom's Cry. And if you've been reading uh, those scriptures with us this week, you know the word wisdom and understanding and common sense. Those phrases are coming up almost uh, every day, and it's just very, very purposeful. Last week, uh, we challenged ourselves to pursue biblical wisdom. The Bible is our playbook, so to speak, and we learn principles that are taught in Scripture that we're able through them to develop a game plan uh, for our, our life. Now today, what I'd like to do is talk to you about the direction of our lives, the direction that our lives take. I don't know uh, about you, but there have been times in my life, uh, too many times, that I felt I just wasn't going anywhere. You have those seasons? I had a vague idea of what I wanted to do or who I wanted to be or where I wanted to, to get to, but I just couldn't seem to find my way. Have you ever experienced that feeling? Isn't that frustrating? The text we're going to look at today is especially helpful if you're floundering in any area of your life. Uh, this text is going to show us and I'm, I've become such a preacher to pastor here, but I, I'm going to trick you a little bit today because you think I'm going to say three things? Four things. I have one more talking point than most pastors do today in other churches for Sunday. That's because you're at Calvary and we give you extra. We get you. So, so you're getting an extra, an extra idea. Four principles that I see, four steps, things to master uh, that will and I don't exaggerate, that'll change your life. It just, it will. So this text is just really, really good. The quality of your life will, will reflect what you do with these four elements of direction that we're going to talk about today. If you're in business, these four steps will help you to become more effective in the work of your life. These will help you move in the direction of success and not in the same way that some of the guys on television or the internet or the whoo-hoo, you know, kind of theology tells you to do. Uh, this is grounded in scripture. If you want to lose weight, uh, you want to be healthier, here's four steps that's going to help you to reach your goal. If you want to strengthen your marriage or your relationship, if you want to get closer to God, if you want to just be thinking, I just need, I know, uh, like Tiffany just saying, I am clean. And that is such a foundational truth that you're not in your flesh anymore. And we're not just striving, I'm going to be a better Christian today. I want to be 
Dan 2.0, and I'm going to get this done. And then you just fail, and you think, I'm just not going to do that. No, you're not, ever, because it's not in you. It's not in our flesh. It's in Jesus. It's in Christ. It's in Him, in Him alone. I think, God, how can I move forward now that I know I'm there? These four steps are going to help you to do that. Now, the great thing about this these four steps, you're probably already taking those, at least to some extent. It may be, if you ever saw the movie, What About Bob? Baby Steps, Baby Steps. You know, maybe you're doing that. And by the way, that's one of my, that's like in my top five all-time great movies. It's our Christmas movie. Our family, we've watched it. We've memorized the lines and we say it along with it. It's just like that. But what we want to do is not just keep taking baby steps. Nothing wrong with that. But how would you like to take some giant steps, some big steps towards solutions in your life and toward some things that maybe God has in his heart that every now and then you just catch glimpses of? Wouldn't you like to see it a little more clearly and live in that? I mean, is it just talk? Are they just songs that we sing? Are they just scriptures? Or is it real? It's real. It's not just for some people. It's for you. It's for you. So if you have a Bible or a tablet or a phone, turn to Proverbs chapter 4. And let's look uh, today at verses 23 to 27. In these verses, Solomon points out four things you need to do to really go in a new direction. The first thing he says you need to do is this. Guard your heart. Verse 23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, what does he mean when he says, guard your heart? What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about that part of you that defines you more than anything else that defines you. Deeper than your personality, more than just your history, it's your heart of hearts. That part of you that's in the, the deepest place of who you are. Let me ask you, what, what drives you? What fuels you? What motivates you? What do you really, really want from life? Not just the Sunday school answers, not just the cliches, but it... If you were really honest, it was just you and God, and you think, God, what I really want is this. I mean, I may say that because that's the acceptable, that's the pretty answer, but this is where I am. What do you really, really expect of yourself? What do you feel like we expect of you, the people around you? That's the part that Solomon calls your heart. And he's telling us, you need to guard that. Have you ever heard anyone say, well, the heart wants what the heart wants? I mean, I've heard it in movies. I've heard people say it. It's a cliche. It's a phrase. It was actually first written in a letter in 1862 by Emily Dickinson. And she had just written that in a friend to a friend, and I know she never dreamed that it would become something famous or that it would ever be used for the way we use it as an excuse to do what we want to do. 
we do. We do. You know, well, why did you? I can't believe it. Well, the heart wants what the heart wants. What was I? I couldn't help it. And we've even modernized that. And, you know, I, I was watching a preview to a movie, and one of the main characters in its moment of crisis turns to another and says, you just got to go with your heart. And in the action of the moment, you think, yes, be true to your heart. I don't know about you, but my heart, whenever I do that, it never works out so well. I don't think that means what you think it means. You know, it, it's like this excuse to do this emotional thing or this passionate thing or whatever, and later you look back and go, oh, that wasn't such a good idea. It just it doesn't work out. Have you ever used that excuse? I know a lot of people who don't just do it, but they live that way. I, couldn't, I can't help it. It's how I feel. I can't change what I want. This is who I am. It sounds kind of, but it's not. It's not a way to live. So if you've ever gotten yourself in a situation where you want something that you shouldn't want, something that isn't good for you, and you can't bring yourself to want what you really should want, then you know what a mess you can create what life can become when you let your heart get in the way. And I know that doesn't, that doesn't sync with Hollywood or even popular philosophy, but you know it's true because you've lived it just like I have. That's why Solomon starts with this, and he says from the very beginning, guard your heart. He says, the way I first learned this or memorized this was like this, keep thy heart with all diligence. We will inevitably move consciously or usually subconsciously in the direction of that which we want most. Just will. So you need to ask yourself, what do I really want to want more than anything else? That's a good question. What is it that I want to want? The psalm says this, in Psalm 37, 4, it says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. You can understand this promise to mean not only what God, that God will give you the good thing that your hearts desire, because that's what we kind of hope it means and we want it to mean, but he will also give your heart the right kind of desires. He changes us from the inside out. And when you delight yourself in the Lord, something magical, something beautiful and amazing begins to happen because your heart starts changing and you think, I, I don't feel like that. I don't want those old things anymore. I don't want to go there. I'm not pulled toward that. I'm not attracted to this. Here's what I'm saying. In, in order to establish direction, in, in life, you need to put this at the top of your list. What do I want most in life? What do I want most in this situation? What do I want to happen next? Where do I want this to end, to go? In this relationship, in this place, what do I want my life to really be about? I was chatting with some friends this morning upstairs in one of the Bible studies, and and it just, it hit me. We were kind of kidding about birthdays and the next place in life. And, and it's like, in, in a moment, I thought, 
dude, you're old. I'm, I'm old. I thought, how did I get old? I don't, I don't know. But it just, I'm going to tell you guys, I'm going to tell you guys. Yesterday I was sitting there. And I mean, I know what that sounds like. It sounds like an old guy, and I already told you. And, and, and it is, but it just happens quickly. You, you can't decide. I mean, you can decide. I'm deciding now. But you got to, it would be so much better. I wish I had decided when I was a freshman in high school. <laughs> then my freshman year in college would have gone about 10 times better and easier and so many other things would as well. What do I want to want more than anything else? There's your tweet. What do I want to want more than anything else? For example, God, what I really want to want is to love my wife the way that Christ loved the church. What I really want to want is to do my job with excellence in a way that brings you glory. What I really want to want is to manage my money well. What I really want to want is to be an attentive and loving father and the best grandfather that ever walked this planet. Danny. I want to be that guy. Folks, we've got to, we need to nail down once and for all, what is it that you want to want more than anything else? And then we need to guard and protect and nurture that desire every step of the way. That's your GPS. That's your heart. That's what will determine the course of your life. Here's the second thing. Solomon would say we need to do this. He says, guard your heart, then watch your mouth. And I wrote it like that because it is an echo of my mother's voice. Can you not hear her? Can you not hear your daddy right now? Watch your mouth. That's what my daddy would have said. With a cigarette between those two fingers. You better watch your mouth. <laughs> I'll tell you something else. You know. I... So this is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he doesn't smoke, but he says this. Watch your mouth. Verse 24 says, avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Now, he's not just saying that we shouldn't, as we say here in the South, cuss. Now, in New York, I'm sure it's curse. But here we say, you don't cuss. You don't tell those jokes. You don't, don't try to be edgy. And I know it's trendy right now. And I know it's kind of become cool and almost acceptable for Christians. But then we've dropped our guard and people say words they never used to say and they talk in a way they shouldn't talk. You're feeling a little ooh right now. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. But I'm not going to get off on that and badger you about that because I think he's really talking about something more, something another, something deeper. He's talking about refusing to say anything that diminishes the value of God's work in your life. See, I think the enemy could trick us and think, well. 
because, see, when I became a follower of Jesus, my language cleaned up. And that didn't take long because some, some things it was obvious. Some words I didn't know were bad, and my, my friends would kind of laugh. And I remember, I'll never forget sitting at a story uh, table once, and I was telling the story, and I'm being real colorful and everything. And, they're, and, every, and every now and then they would look around, and I thought, what? You don't like my story? This is one of my best stories. You know? And they're like, that's a bad word. And you said, oh, you said another bad word. And I was with some Christians who had been Christians like since vacation Bible school, Christians, you know, and they were, <laughs> and they start crying and stop saying it, my ears, you know, they're like, oh, dude, blah, 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 blah. They go, oh, you did it again. And I'm like, okay. So I figured that out and I started learning those. And God, I don't want to, I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to bring shame. I don't want to, I want to stop saying. So my language changed, but that was easy. And I think if the enemy could get you just to stop saying those words, and not let you see that this is something more than that, you'd be okay. But when you say, you know what, this isn't going to work out. I know this situation works out because it never works out for me. Nothing ever works out for me because I'm such a loser. I'm just so, if you're saying that in your heart, that's perverse talk. That's corrupt speech. That's why I love that song because it says I'm clean. Some of you are followers of Jesus. You think, well, I'm not so clean. I'm kind of dirty. That's what he wants you to think. Well, I guess I'm going to have to work this out on my own. God never really helped. Nobody ever helps me. Because nobody likes me. That's perverse talk. That's ungodly talk. That's corrupt speech. When you ridicule or criticize or demean another person, that's perverse talk. It's corrupt speech. When you spread gossip, that's perverse talk. That's corrupt speech. But when you talk on and on about your problems with no desire to explore solutions, when you find that your conversations and even your thoughts about yourself are filled with pessimism and self-pity, I'm telling you from experience, I'm I'm not judging you, I'm just telling you, because I lived it. That's perverse talk. That's corrupt speech. You need to be aware of what comes out of your mouth, because it affects you, and it affects those around you. And ultimately, it affects the outcome of your situation. And I'm not just talking to those of you who are disconnected from God. I'm talking to those of you who are in Christ. You know what, if you're a Christian and you're the most negative person in your office, neighborhood, or family, that's corrupt. We need to watch what we say. Jesus, Jesus said this in Luke 6, 45. What you say flows from what's in your heart. So when you hear yourself saying things, did I just say that? Is that what's in my heart? If you find yourself being critical, or callous or condescending to yourself or to others, the people around you, you need to realize it's not just a speech problem that you can discipline yourself and figure out how not to say that. It's a heart problem. You're not guarding your heart. And here's my observation. This is in, in me, in my life, and in, in people around me. is that the heart and the mouth tend to reflect one another. The words of our mouth are linked to the state of our heart. And at the same time, the heart tends to move toward you know, what it hears the mouth say. And the mouth will follow 
the heart. You get that that's why you can't talk defeat? You remember Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? <laughs> I mean, that may be your natural personality. You may naturally have that tendency. And I understand that pull. It won't work. We'll all be killed. You think, that's, that's the way I kind of see life sometimes. And some of you think, I can't relate to that. Because, you know, you think, and, and God sometimes lets people marry each other. <laughs> Who see, you know, this one sees the glass half full and this one half empty. God says, no, there's another whole way to live. Where you see the glass and you think, somebody get some water. <laughs> Let's change. Let's go forward. You can't talk pessimistic and expect to be filled with optimism. Your words need to reflect what you want your life to be. Now, the book of Proverbs has more to say about the use of words than just about any other topic. In fact, you see it all through Scripture. The more time you spend in Proverbs, the more God will teach you how to put your words to good use. Words can be used in a powerful way. Anybody watch a game yesterday? Watch a game? Watch football last night? Larry Fitzgerald who Scooter had on his amazing award-winning championship team this year in one of the church league fantasy football teams. I'm going to give him props because he's been dying for the attention for that all year. <laughs> Larry Fitzgerald, who's on Scooter's team, was mentioned in a Wall Street Journal article this week. He's an amazing guy. If you don't know him, he's a receiver for Arizona. But what his reputation is, other than catching 120 I mean, he's just an amazing guy, is that he never trash talks. In fact, he either stays completely silent or, and this is what he's known for, he says these affectionate, nice, friendly, happy things to people on the field during the game. And it messes guys up. Cornerbacks hate him because they think, okay, I need trash talk. I need, I need, you know, because that gets me going, gets me pumped up. You go, hey, Larry, I'm going to do this. And he goes, hey, how's your family, man? I heard your wife had a baby. Congratulations. Thanks. What do you... <laughs> and this happens, it's just uh, such a, uh, and I just love that about him. One guy said they came out of a play... <laughs> and Larry said, man, you are killing it today. You're doing such an awesome job. You're having a great season. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Larry. <laughs> I'm going to outrun you this time. I mean, you know, and you think it just, and it works in your office. It works at school. It works in your family. It works in your marriage. They said the thing about this guy that impresses them is that it doesn't come across as fake or contrived or manipulative just him. Think, Lord, I want to be that way. And I'm not. Sometimes the words or the attitude or the tone. And it happens in all kinds of situations and places. But what a difference it make if Christians tomorrow spoke 
in a different way to the people around us, at the deli, at the bank, at the drive-thru. What if there was something different about us in just the way we talk? It's interesting to realize that 3,000 years ago, people talked themselves into the same kind of messes that we talk ourselves into today. Fools talked foolishness and wreaked havoc in their lives all the way back then. The wise spoke faith and wisdom and truth, and they experienced God's blessings. Proverbs 10.19 says, Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible. Did you know this was in the Bible? Keep your mouth shut. Again, I hear my mama, but here it is. Now here's the third thing you can do to help you establish uh, this direction and get some momentum. Fix your eyes. And I like that because it sounds southern. I'm going to fix my eyes on that deer. You know, when he... And I don't mean have them repaired. I mean that keep them focused where they need to be focused. Solomon said in verse 25, look straight ahead, fix your eyes on what lies before you. It's tempting when we're floundering to waste time focused on all that is wrong and all that is right. Has anybody else ever laid awake in the wee hours of the morning thinking about your problem or the next day or that meeting or that confrontation or, oh, I wish I'd have said this and, you know, and, and all of those moments? We're just burning up all that fuel, all that emotional energy that we're dumping into, focusing on the problem, on the situation. For example, if your goal is to have a God-honoring, spirit-filled marriage, and you're not there yet, it's tempting to keep your eyes on everything that isn't good about the relationship or everything that your spouse does that makes you crazy and amplify. And what was cute when you were dating? What was funny? Oh, he's so funny. He does this. Now, it just grates on your last nerve. You don't stop doing that. You thought it was cute. It's not cute anymore. You know, and if you just keep, and if you just stay fixed on that. If your goal is to grow in obedience in your walk with Jesus and you still struggle with besetting sin and maybe you think it's the same sin I've been battling for so long, it's tempting to fix your eyes on your failure. Well, it's no use. I've tried that. I've done that. I've done, you know, nothing. It's just, this is who I am. This is not, this is the way. No. If your goal is to develop financial stability, and security for your family, and you're scrambling to keep the lights on. It's tempting to keep your eyes glued to the problem and not on God's promise of victory. I think most people live under discouragement. And oftentimes, it's the discouragement we create and feed ourselves. As long as your eyes are fixed on the problem, you're never going to be able to move in the direction of the solution. Trust me, been there, done that. So Solomon says, look at where you're going. Look at where you want to be. Not where you are at this moment. 
we get that. But certainly don't look back at where you used to be. Some of you are living there. The past is just eating your lunch. He says, no, stop it. Look straight ahead. In the book of Philippians, and you probably knew, you know, i got to bring up this verse. Paul said, I haven't reached perfection. He says, I haven't achieved that yet. And he said, that's not, but what I'm after is this. Philippians 3, 13, 14. He said, but I focus on one thing. I'm locked in. Forgetting the past. Nothing you can do about that anymore. It's time to let it go. And if you need to hear an outside, an out loud voice, this is it. And in this moment, as your friend or pastor, it's time. Let it go. I give you permission. As if I need, you know, if I had any authority, but let it go. He said, I'm looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race. Where you fix your eyes determines what your life becomes. Where you fix your eyes determines where your life becomes. Now, if you're always dwelling on the past, your life's always going to be about nothing but the past. If your eyes are always turned toward the problems you're facing, then you're forever going to be in neutral and you're going to be consumed and just absorbed and focused on your spinning your wheels but not getting anywhere. But if you turn your attention to what lies before you, if you fix your eyes on where God is leading you, then your life will become what he meant for it to be. Focus on that. See that. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the pioneer. He's the leader. He's the scout. He's the one way up on the path going, this way, over here. Stay focused on him. You can look at your past Look at your problems, and you'll continue to be stuck where you are. You can just look at Jesus. Stay focused. You'll cross the finish line. So we need to continually be asking ourselves, where am I focused today? What do I have my eyes fixed on? On the past, on my problems, or on the presence of Jesus? Here's the fourth thing. Point your feet. Solomon said in verse 26, Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. In other words, think about where you're going. Think about the steps you're taking. Map out a plan where you want to go. Give it some thought. If you want to get closer to God, map out a path, map out a plan that's going to get you there. Okay, I'm go- oh, God, I want to be closer to you. So here's my strategy. I'm going to begin every day with a moment of praise, and I'm going to spend 15 minutes at least every morning in prayer and Bible study. 
I'm going to stop watching this show. Uh, I'm going to never. I'm not going to go to that place anymore. Uh, and when I when I feel like something's being counterproductive to my spiritual growth, I'm, I'm going to eject that. I'm going to let that go. I'm going to start listening to worship music. Like when I'm driving around in my car. I'm going to join a community group. I'm going to get connected to other believers. See, you're just doing smart things that are going to flow in sync and rhythm with your life, not trying to constantly. You know, I want to grow spiritually, but I'm doing all these things that are counterproductive to that. It doesn't make any sense, and it doesn't work, and it's just self-defeating. That's what Solomon's talking about here. He's saying, mark out a straight path for your feet, and wherever it is that you want to go, create a plan to get there. If you don't have a plan, it's not going to work. This is where we often drop the ball, right? We have good intentions, we have a great idea, you know what it is you really want, uh, and you think, I want this with all my heart, or I want to do this, and you talk about it, and then it just sort of it dissipates, it fades away. You've got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan. It's like if you, you know, started off the first year and you said, I want to be healthier, I want to drop some weight, and I want to, uh, but first I'm going to eat a dozen donuts. <laughs> What are you, you trying to lose weight? Yeah, I'm trying to lose weight. How are you doing that? I'm eating donuts right now. But I've got this, I'm thinking about other stuff, but, but you know what? Create a, get a plan. Pick one of the 1,000 crazy diets out there or just start eating healthy or just, you know, just make some, you get the idea, right? Sometimes the steps we're able to make are so feeble and they seem like baby steps. And they seem so small. You think, I've got so far to go, I'm never going to get there. Remember the first time you ever went out to run or to work out? And you put on all your cool workout clothes, and you think, I look the part. And, and you just felt like, oh, this is going to feel so good. And you put your headphones in, and you, just, and you got there. And you ran about half a mile, and you thought, this is not fun. I can't breathe, and my legs are killing me. And my, I'm going home and eat some more donuts. I just, I hate this. <laughs> Netflix, you know. No, you, you gotta, you gotta just keep taking it. That's okay. Go home, but tomorrow, you go a little further. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Sometimes I'm so tempted to say, "What's the use? Why am I trying?" making a fool of myself. Well, here's the use of trying. I can promise you, and I don't make a lot of promises, when you mark out your path, when you begin moving in the right direction, God's going to meet you along the way. This is what I love about God, and this is what I've always loved about Him, is that every time I take one step toward Him, he rushes at me with a thousand steps. If there's a thousand steps between you and God, you take one step, he takes 999. As if to say, I didn't think you would ever move, but I just saw you even flinch towards me. I rushed to you, just like the father of the prodigal son. The father came home, do you remember that? And he just scoops him up and he interrupts him and he just starts kissing him. God wants to be that for you.
I'm going to go so far as to say you're never really going to fully realize God's plan for your life. You're never really going to have that which matters most until you learn and apply these four steps. Would you stand? And let me just summarize these. First, guard your heart. Decide what you really want to want. Move your heart in that direction. Secondly, watch your mouth. Abandon all perverse and corrupt speech, including self-pity. Replace it with words of hope, comfort, encouragement, and faith. Feelings may not be there yet, but that's okay. They'll join you later. Fix your eyes. Turn your eyes away from the past, away from your problems. Turn your eyes toward Jesus. Fix your eyes on Him. Focus. Point your feet. Map out a plan. Start putting one foot in front of the other. Get back on the path. Make the journey. Today's message isn't about getting everything you want in life. It's not about an easy way. It doesn't mean there won't be dark nights and hard days. But it is about determining what you want your life to become. So I'm encouraging you to focus on the direction you know you want your life to take. Your heart, your mouth, your eyes, and your feet. Is there a place where you're floundering? Is there a place? Is there anywhere in your heart this morning that thinks, I want that. I want to want that. This is your moment. This is your time. If you'd like to pray with somebody about that, we have pastors, we have men and women here who would love to to join you. We can just turn these steps into our own altar. Let's sing together. God, take us. Take us in a new direction today.